going to kick off this morning with 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn them uh, there, uh, and then we'll pray, and then we'll uh, get popping in there, okay? Father, thank you so much that you brought us to this place, that you moved us into the building. Um, for better or for worse, um, there are people who are all over the scale on um, what that looks like for them. And so uh, we want to just honor you um, this morning uh, with who's here and who's worshiping online. Uh, Father, thank you that you've given us the opportunity to be flexible enough to divide over such an issue. And, and so I want to uh, pray that you would use this service to grow us up, to mature us. Father, that you would allow us to um, spend time together letting your spirit do some work in us. Um, that uh, may, maybe we would otherwise not even think about. Um, Father, we want to remain available to you this morning. And, and so wherever we hold on to things, let us let go. Wherever we are gripped by things, remove that grip off of us. And, and, and open up our ears to hear specifically from you. Do a work in us. When I'm available to be used by you, do whatever you want this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, a, a few years ago, when Ashley and I were living in New York, we went to this uh, painting place. Like, we went on this like, cool date night. We got to go. We got to uh, do some paint together. I don't know if anybody's ever done one of those couple, kind of couples painting thing. Uh, but we go there, and they give us all the tools that I think that we are going to need, right? We've got the easel in front of us. We've got a canvas on top of that easel. We've got a little table beside us. It's got all the paints on it that we're going to need and all the brushes that we're going to need in order to do the painting uh, that we're getting ready to paint. And neither one of us have any clue of, of what we're doing. Like, we're not artists by any stretch of the imagination. We've got the smock on us so we don't get paint all over us, right? And, and so, like, we were just, like, we were looking like artists, even though we don't know what's going on. And so, as we're sitting there, we're excited, we're on our day night, the, the lady, the, the master artist, she comes out and stands on the stage, and she reveals this amazing masterpiece that clearly she had been working on for probably a year before we ever got there. Uh, but this thing was immaculate. And then she turns to us that are standing there, or sitting there watching her, she's like, okay, I want you guys now to make your painting look like that. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, there's no, like, I look at Ashley, I'm like, babe, I'm sorry. If we sat here for the next year, and we didn't move off this seat, then I guarantee you that my picture would not even come close to looking like what she's got up there. And, and I'm guessing she can kind of sense the angst on my face, or maybe the collective angst of the whole room like that, that look of like, that ain't happening, lady. I don't know what you, what you thought you were getting out of this crew, but that ain't happening. And so, because she began to kind of leave our attention. She, she, she says, okay, guys, relax. Relax. I'm going to be with you through the whole process. We're going to start on square one, and we're going to end all together, and when you're done, you're going to have something that's going to, to look like this up here. Just relax. I'm going to be with you. And so Ashley and I, we kind of looked at each other, and we laughed, and we did. We relaxed, and we enjoyed our time while we were painting. We made a mess. We had, good thing we had a smock on, because we had paint all over our smocks. We had paint on the canvas. We just made a mess, but we had fun while we were doing that. And while, when we finished, we had our own little masterpieces there on the canvas. They, they resembled the one that was up on the stage, right? I mean, you could look at our paintings and you'd be like, uh, I can tell you were trying to copy something that was in front of you. It didn't look exact. Um, definitely wasn't what she probably had in mind for our pictures to look like. But they resembled it. 
But here's the thing. I don't think the instructor who was giving the instructions up there, I don't think she ever had in her mind that all of ours were going to look exa like exact replicas of what she was painting up there. But she did, I guess, have some expectations of us. She had some expectations that we would use all the tools that we were given, right? That we would use the canvas, that we would use the paintbrushes, that we would use the paint that we had up there, that we would use the tools. And she had an expectation, too, that we would actually take paint and put it on the canvas, right? That we would just sit there and do nothing and just watch her paint. And I think she probably also had the expectation that we wouldn't try to go off and paint our own paint. That we would follow her. And as we would follow her as she painted, we would come up with something like the masterpiece that she had up on the stage. And as we followed her lead, we messed up. We made mistakes. We had paint all over us. But we enjoyed the process. And when we walked away from that little date night session with the master painter, we walked away with something that wasn't an exact replica. But we walked away with something that actually it resembled. Like you could see how we were trying to follow the person who was on the stage. And, and guys, I want to make a bridge over to what we've been talking about over the past few weeks, right? God has created a masterpiece in the church. We talked about it a few weeks ago. He's created a masterpiece. And as we follow him, not just go off and do whatever it is that we want, but as we follow him, we're going to grow up into the masterpiece that he's created the church to be. We're going to grow up into the masterpiece that he's called us to be. We're going to make a mess. We're going to get pain over our smocks. We're going to get pain over our lives. We're going to make some mistakes. But as we follow him and follow the brush strokes that he's painting, we're going to grow up into this masterpiece that he's created us to be. And I think there's some correlation here that he's got some expectations that he's placed on us as well. right? That he expects us to use the tools that we've been given. Just like the painter expected us to use the tools that we were given. He expects us to, to open up our Bibles. That's a tool that he's given us to understand who he is that, so that we might grow. He expects us to use the Holy Spirit that he's put inside of us, right? To grow up into spiritual maturity. He expects that we are going to take some, uh, uh, we're going to follow the, um, the instructor. That we're not going to go off and just go start painting our own painting. That we're not going to discuss, this is what my view of the church is supposed to be. This is what my view of growth is supposed to be. So I'm just going to go off and start painting my own thing. He expects that we're going to follow him. That we're going to take some paint. That we're actually going to put it on the canvas. That we're not just going to sit here and do nothing. He's given the spirit in our lives in order to grow us up. But if we don't utilize that gift, we just sit here. And nothing happens on the canvas. And so there's an expectation that we are going to grow, that we're going to follow his lead. And as we follow his lead, there's going to be some mistakes. There's going to be some, you know, paint that gets placed all over the place. But we're going to be able to walk away with something that resembles the intent that he has for the church. And the question is this, though. Are we using the tools that he's given us? Are we taking or are we using those tools? Or are we following his lead, are we growing up in the church? Are we maturing? Are we growing up in our maturity? Are we looking like the intent that he has for the church? Or are we just sitting there and just doing nothing? Paul is going to address in 1 Corinthians 3 what maturity is beginning to look like. What growth in the church is going to look like. And we've said that the church is God's design, right? It's his masterpiece. And as we look at the church in Corinth, Although this church has some serious issues, there's some serious issues going on, we see him address issue after issue after issue, the truth is that he wasn't done with the church. 
His desire and his design was to grow the church up, right, from the inside out, to mature her into being who God had created her to be. Now, when he created the church, there was a perfect design. But we know that the church, every church that has ever existed, with the local church, and even, and even uh, the big C church, like us collective, right, that the church is full of people who aren't perfect. Perfectly redeemed, but in the flesh we aren't yet perfect. So there's a perfect design in the church. But when you start to mix in people that aren't perfect into a perfect design, things can get a little bit messy, can't they? They get a little bit messy real quick. And so if the church in Corinth wasn't perfect, and Paul writes to all these other churches in the New Testament, um, clearly identifying some things that aren't perfect inside of that church, addressing imperfect people inside of the perfect design of the church, we can probably surmise that Riverview Community Church is less than perfect, right? I think we got a pretty good thing going here. But I think we can surmise, just as Paul writes to the Corinthian church and to every other church that he writes to, I think the Philippians get off a little easy, um, if, you, if you ask me. But I think all the other churches get a little bit of a reprimand. I think we can say, you know what, we're not perfect on it. But if nobody's perfect, what does the perfect design look like? What's the perfect church supposed to look like? If RCC and, and the Corinthian church were to sit down in an auditorium, go on their little date night, and they were to sit down and watch the master artist, uh, Jesus, up there on the stage, paint the perfect picture and say, hey, make your church look like this. What does that look like? What's the perfect church look like? I mean, what does growth and maturity look like? What's that supposed to grow into? I think if we're going to answer that question, we have to understand what was the original intent? What was the design? How did Jesus design his church to look and to be, right? So before we jump into 1 Corinthians 3, I think we got to follow Jesus' um, intent for the church. So Matthew 16, you don't have to turn there. Um, I'll kind of talk us through it. Um, Jesus, he's spending some time with his disciples, right? And you know the disciples. These are guys who are kind of uh, ruffling around the edges or getting into some trouble here and there. And so he's, he's talking to the disciples. He's, he's getting to know them. They're getting to know him. They're getting to know one another. They know how each other work. And as Jesus is spending time with these disciples, um, he asks them a question. He says, guys, what, what are people saying about me? What do people think about me? And of course, he knows the answer to that. And the, the questions then are the same questions that we have today. If you're going to walk down the street and ask somebody, who is Jesus? Or uh, what's going on with him? You're going to get people who say, well, well Jesus is a good guy. Or Jesus is uh, my homeboy. Jesus is my dash buddy. Jesus is, is, is a guy who lived a long time ago and lived a really good way, but now, you know, you don't really need to follow him because things have changed and we've evolved. Some people you talk to, they're going to say, well, yeah, Jesus is exactly who Scripture says he is, and he, he, he dictates in a good way what should be going on in my life. There are just, just so many answers to the question of who Jesus is now, and it was no different when Jesus asked this question. So he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And John, the, or, uh, um, uh, the disciples say, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist, who's come back to life. That's an interesting scenario. Some people say that you're Jeremiah, or you're Elijah, or, or one of the other prophets who's come back to life. Then it seems like everybody thinks that he's somebody who's come back to life, right? There's something significant about Jesus. And then Peter jumps up, and I think Peter says something way beyond his comprehension and his understanding, right? So Peter jumps up and he says, you're the Christ. I know exactly who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting on. And, and Jesus says something after Peter's announcement there that kind of forms the foundation of the church. He gives us how the church is to be founded. He gives us a, a little bit of a to the church. Nobody even had on the radar at the 
Maybe he's like, well, God bless you, Peter. Because you didn't just come up with this all on your own. Like, this isn't something you just fabricated out of your own imagination. My father gave you this information. My father told you this, that I am the Christ, right? This is, this is what he's getting after. Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father in heaven did. And on your confession, and this confession that he's talking about, it's the confession that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is Messiah. He's the one that all the Old Testament prophecies have been pointed to. He's the one that the world has been waiting on. He is the foundation. And so he says, on your confession, I'm going to build my church. Peter, you're the rock. And on this confession, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell are not going to be able to overcome it, or not be able to overpower it. And so Jesus, if he were standing on the stage, and he's got his easel, and he's got his masterpiece, he's working, he's throwing some paint, he throws some paint, and the very foundation that he paints on that canvas is himself. He is that foundation. A healthy church is always going to have, and a healthy person is always going to have Jesus as the foundation of their life. And the church then is going to build everything on top of that foundation. And Jesus says, not even hell is going to overcome that church, or not even hell can overcome that person. Does that mean that Satan isn't going to try? Does that mean that Satan isn't going to try to come against the church and cause disunity and division? And, uh, he's been doing it century after century after century. So what would make us think that he's not going to try to cause division now? Right? Even in, even in the issue of masks, right? Uh, like whether you open up the church, you stay outside, you wear a mask, you don't wear a mask, don't kid ourselves. Like Satan is at work trying to divide the church, the RCC church, churches around America, churches and communities. Like he is always at work trying to work what the truth is and always trying to get in and, and chirp, chirp, chirp in our minds to cause division and disunity. He's been doing this century after century. Right? But a church that's founded on Jesus. Not on our opinions, but it's founded on Jesus and is centered on the rock of Jesus. He's saying that's what the masterpiece starts with. That's what the foundation of the church is. And so when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we get to see a little bit of the issue that Paul's been talking about. We know that from chapter 1, right, that uh, there was an issue that was going on. Hell was trying to come against the church. Satan was trying to come in and twist the theology, to twist the thinking, twist the mind of believers and non-believers alike. And there was a division of uh, what church leadership should look like and who should follow who, and they're fighting over that. It was causing disunity. Um, we, we know that uh, Satan isn't working. He's causing um, disunity over that. You know that he's, caught, he's, uh, he's got people locked up and fighting over worldly wisdom or earthly wisdom or worldly wisdom or spiritual wisdom, right? That uh, there are these fruitless conversations that are happening and people are fighting about um, who, who Jesus is and the foundation of Christ being crucified. That's just people can't get their mind around that. They're, following, uh, they're, they're having issues over um, who are they going to follow for all kinds of different reasons. And this was all causing division and disunity in the church. And Paul looks around and says, guys, are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. Did any of these leaders die for you? I didn't die for you. Did Apollos die for you? Did Cephas die for you? Whereas any of these guys, were they crucified for you? And the answer is no. It's like, this, this is ridiculous. The church isn't founded on its leaders. Although it should have good leaders. The church isn't founded on those leaders. The church is founded and it's grounded on Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the center of attention. And the church itself, it's the gathering of people who are like-minded. It's the gathering of people who have a cross-centered life, who have a people who are centered on Jesus and are laser-focused on him. The church is founded and grounded on him. He's the center of attention. And when we get away from that, 
the masterpiece then begins to get a little bit messy. The masterpiece begins to look a little bit different than what Jesus was painting on the stage. We just can't get away from that foundation. And so um, we read in chapter 3, you, you see Paul saying, guys, we can't keep this up. We can't keep fighting over things that don't matter. We can't keep fighting over this. It's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to start maturing. He says in verse 1, But brothers and sisters, I, I wasn't able to address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. And when you talk about the flesh here, um, I think what, what he's talking about is people who are living like nothing has ever changed in their life. Um, there's a beautiful theology of um, used to be in Scripture. You, you read through the New Testament, and you see this phrase, used to be, come up over and over and over again. And when Jesus is talking about people who have been redeemed, people who have come out of the darkness and into the light, say, you used to be this, but now you are this. And when you read through the New Testament, you see, this is what the old life looks like, this is what the new life looks like. If you want to write in your margins or write on a piece of paper, write on Colossians 3. Because Colossians 3 is a beautiful picture of, of, of what putting on the old life and putting on the life of Christ looks like, living alive in Christ. Um, write, write in Galatians 5. Now, Galatians 5 is a beautiful picture of um, living out of the flesh and what living out of the spirit looks like. Um, these are ways to put flesh on what Paul is going to talk about about growing up into maturity. Okay? <clears throat> So he says, brothers and sisters, I wasn't able to address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not yet ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Y'all, like, it's time to grow up. I, I left you here three years ago. I spent a lot of time with you laying down a foundation, teaching about Jesus. And I left, and I've been gone for three years, but nothing has changed. I, I've heard that there are some divisions going on. I've heard that there, like, there are issues, and nothing has changed. Like, actually, it might even be that things are worse. You're just not growing up. You're still in diapers. You're still drinking baby's milk. You're eating baby's food. You haven't yet grown to solids. And this is an interesting picture that Paul gives us here, right? And, and if you want to try to like, get your mind around, this is a pretty gross picture, right? But if you want to try to get your mind, think about an adult walking around, a hairy-chested dude walking around with a baby diaper around his waist, with a bottle in his mouth. That's pretty gross, right? But what you're supposed to see is this is unnatural, right? It, it, it's, it's unnatural to stay acting like a baby as you physically grow up. And so Paul is trying to get our mind around this picture, it's uh, not hard for us to, to picture what Paul's talking about or what he's painting here. It's the, the kid who shows up to school in third grade with a pacifier in his mouth. Well, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's supposed to be happening right now. Does it happen? Yeah, of course it happens. But it's not natural. You're supposed to grow out of that. It's the, um, it's the, the 30 year old male. 30-year-old dude who's still living in grandma and grandma's basement or mom and daddy's basement who just refuses to mature and to get out and to take on responsibility, right? It's unnatural. It doesn't make sense. It's the, it's the believer who won't open up their Bibles. It's unnatural. It doesn't make sense. It's the, it's the believer whose relationships don't look like anything different than the relationships in the world. It's unnatural. It doesn't make sense by somebody who's empowered by the Spirit. It is the, the believer who does business practices and will cheat somebody as fast as he can that looks no different than the way that the world does business. 
It's unnatural. It shouldn't be happening by somebody who has the Spirit of God living inside of them. And this is what Paul wants to see. What does it naturally look like for a believer to grow up in Christ and to stay a baby? And he's addressing the Corinthians saying, you are still babies. You are not growing up at all. People are expected to grow up as adults, right? People are expected to grow up into maturity in Christ as well. There's an expectation of growth. You ever feel in your own life where you're like, man, I just wish I was further along. Man, I, I wish I wasn't still dealing with the same thing that I've been dealing with for the past 20 years. I gave my life to Christ X amount of years ago, but I feel like nothing's changed. Or, or maybe, maybe you're like a, a spiritual, you think you're a spiritual giant. Man, I, I've been walking with Jesus for 50 years, but when you look at your table, the paint's still sitting there, the brush hasn't moved, the water's still there, there's nothing on the canvas. And there's nothing to validate that you're a giant in Christ. It's not to question your salvation, but to question bring our maturity into life. If there's nothing on our canvas, and it's not beginning to look like the masterpiece that Jesus has created, then Paul says, we're still sitting as babies in Christ. We're not maturing. And he says, you need to start growing up to the Corinthians. You're fighting over foundational things, and you haven't been able to move on past this stuff yet. And you can see it when someone says, I follow Paul. And someone says, I follow Apollos. Are you not just showing that you're still living like the world? You're not living like, like, like I've called you to live? You're showing that you haven't embraced the beauty that Jesus is the foundation of everything, and he's the one that you build your life on. If you build on Paul, you get Pauly kind of things. You might get it right every once in a while, but your life is going to look like Paul, which sometimes looks like Christ. If you build your life on Apollos, you're going to get Apollos kind of stuff. If you build your life on Joel Osteen, you're going to get Joel Osteen kind of stuff. If you build your life on Matt Chandler, then you're going to get Matt Chandler kind of stuff. If you build your life on Anthony, then you're going to get Anthony kind of stuff. If you build your life on you, then you're going to get you kind of stuff. That's how it works out. It won't stand. It doesn't last. When you expect to be healthy, when you're following uh, in other immature believers, it just doesn't lead to spiritual growth for us. A healthy church can only be healthy when Jesus is the foundation. A healthy person can only be healthy when Jesus is their foundation. If you build a church on anything other than Jesus, it's going to fall. It may stand for a while. It may be structurally there. But there won't be any maturity in there. And the goal of the church has never been to build a building that we can maintain, that we can fill up. The goal of the church has always been that those who call themselves followers of Christ, who gather together, that we grow together in maturity, that we experience the goodness and the grace and the love of Jesus, so much so that when we leave these doors, or when we leave the door of our house, we go out, we impact the community and the culture. And Paul was like, that's not happening in the Corinthian church. You aren't doing that. You're still babies. You can't impact the culture if you can't grow. If you won't grow. If you won't use the tools that you've been given. And so Paul says, grow up here. Just, just grow up. If you go to life on anything other than Jesus, you may grow from a baby into an adult, but you're still going to be spiritually immature. And so as Jesus, he stands on the stage, he puts paint on the canvas. And as you see that paint on the canvas, you see him as the foundation, right? Everything is being built on him. And there are leaders. There are other leaders that are in the picture. He's painted other pictures, but they are not the foundation. Those leaders are not. They are there. And Paul says there's something specific about all these leaders. They're not useless. Look at verse 5. He says, what then is Apollos? What's Paul? And you can insert your name. You can say, insert any Christian leader into the picture. What there are they? Paul says, they're servants. They're servants. 
Service for whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. Who's doing the growing process there? God's doing the growing process. And the leaders that they're writing over, that they're, they're simply serving the Lord by serving them. Right? They're serving the Lord by serving them, and they're fighting over who these leaders are. And, and Paul actually says in chapter 4, verse 1, that everyone should be grabbing over this mentality. That you can paint yourself in a picture as a servant because we are to be stewards of God's mysteries. We are to be messengers of God's mysteries. That we are to be managers of God's mysteries. We are servants called to serve the Lord. And so that means everybody is on the same plane. So not to be elevating other leaders, not to be elevating other servants. And Paul's going to talk about that throughout the rest of this book. There's going to be this constant theme of how the church is always elevating other people and, and or elevating themselves over others. And so now, if Jesus is painting this picture of what a healthy church looks like, he, he says that here, that here, make your church look like this, or make your life look like this. And it's everybody building their lives on Jesus. Not building their lives on leaders. Following the leaders that God has put in place. Growing with those leaders, but not putting them on a higher pedestal than we would put Jesus on. Jesus is the center. And so we build on him, not other, other leaders. And that's where maturity comes from. And that's where it starts. But what else does the church look like, right? If Jesus is painting this picture, what else is the perfect picture of the church? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that there was this division that was going on in the Ephesian church. That the Jews were fighting with the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters in Christ against brothers and sisters in Christ that weren't living like brothers and sisters in Christ. The Jews were hating on the Gentiles. The Gentiles were hating on the Jews. And so you have this racial and this ethnic divide that is causing hostility between both groups. And that was not to be foundational for the church. That is not what the church is supposed to look like at all. And Paul says that what Christ does is in his own body, through the crucifixion, through the cross, he breaks down that wall. He breaks down that barrier. So there's no longer any racial or ethnic divide that keeps people from Christ, right? He takes that off the table since we're all starting from the same playing field. He tore down the hostility. And so now both believing Jews and believing Gentiles are both can be adopted into the family of God together, centering and coming in at the same level that God had always designed creation to be coming in at, right? That we're all equal. Because regardless of what the ethnic or the racial background was, they were coming in as brothers and sisters in Christ. And what Paul calls this in Ephesians 2, he calls this that household of God that's being built on Jesus as the cornerstone. He's laid Jesus down as the foundation that everything can be built on, and he's laid Jesus down as the cornerstone that lines everything up. Build your life and align your life according to Jesus. Build the church on Jesus and align everything according to Jesus. That's the picture that he's painting of the church. The foundation, Jesus. Filled with people from all different walks of life, different backgrounds, serving together. Not elevating one over the other, but serving together. Breaking down racial and ethnic hostilities through his body to the cross. This is what a healthy church looks like. But what else? Colossians 1. Colossians 1, he says, God, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom uh, to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so what Paul does in, in this first chapter of Colossians, he, he says that God's people have been taken out of the, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom that's controlled by Satan, and brought them over into the kingdom of his son, which is a, a stark contrast to the kingdom of darkness, right? Out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. 
And so in, in that transfer, there's been a transfer of authority. Once you're up and you're going here in the kingdom of this world, you're living under the, the rule, the power, the reign, right? The provision of what the world has to offer, what Satan has to offer. But when you've been taken out of this kingdom and you've been transferred into the kingdom of life, there's been a transfer of power, rule, reign, and authority in your life. So there should be a difference. There should be a stark contrast between the brother or sister who's growing up in Christ versus the brother or versus the person who's growing up in the world. There should be a, this is who you used to be. But clearly, this is who you used to be. Right? When we look at this contrast of the kingdom of darkness, what we often think about is people doing seances, people sacrificing babies, Every kind of evil that you can think about when you're thinking about living under the kingdom of this world. And, and could that be? Yes. Right? It certainly can be. But I think there's something that's more subtle that happens in the kingdom of this world. It doesn't mean that you're out doing all, every kind of evil. It means that this is people who are living separated from God. And when you're living separated from God, what Paul says is that people are enemies of God. You live in a way where you're, you're living under the kingdom of this world, and you live under the kingdom of this world, you find your identity in things that you never intended to find your identity in. You find your passion and you feed your desires by the things of this world, as opposed to finding your passion and feeding your identity and desire in the kingdom of God. Right? So there's a difference that happens here. You're under what some would call new management when you come into the cross, or when you come into the family of God. I don't know if you've ever eaten at a restaurant that was under new management, and it's the place where everybody's like, no, don't go there. Like, that place is terrible. And then something happens, a new manager comes in and totally redoes the whole place. Like, oh, when I was growing up, uh, after school, uh, we would go to this little pizza joint in my hometown. Um, it was it was okay, but it was filthy, man. Like, after or before football games or basketball games, we, all, all the kids would go there and we would eat, right? We'd have, we'd have food, so we had a little bit of fuel for the game. But the place was nasty. I was back there uh, a couple um, last year, uh, and actually, my buddy that I went to school with, he bought the thing. Like, who used to sit in these, or used to sit in these tables? It's like this place is nasty. Like, he bought the place, and it doesn't look the same anymore. The food is different. The service is different. It's not dirty. There's a difference when new management comes to town. And what Paul is saying is, is growing up into maturity. You are now under a new manager. You're now under a new management. And the desire of the new management is to lead his church into maturity. Where our identity isn't found in the things of this world anymore. But our identity is found in the things of, of the Lord. And the church that's growing up and is becoming healthy is a church that's living more now in the power of the Spirit. In the world that we've been adopted into and less out of the flesh of the world that we that comes so easy to us. The picture that Jesus is painting of a healthy church and of healthy individuals is a church that's founded on him, that's being filled up with people from all different walks of life, where they're bound together in unity, the cross breaks down hostility, and that are living under the compassion and the compulsion and the leading of the Holy Spirit in their life versus the compulsion and the desire of the things of this world. This is what a healthy church looks like. And when Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, we have to ask this question. And to be fair to them, we, I think we have to ask the question to ourselves as well. Is this the picture of the church that we're in? If this is what a healthy church looks like, if this is what Jesus is painting as a healthy picture, is this the church that we're in? 
Is Jesus the undisputed foundation? Now think about your own life. Is Jesus the undisputed foundation for you as an individual in Christ? Is there unity amongst brothers and sisters? Is there unity in how you treat your brother and sister? Is there, is the, is, or there's division there, regardless of what the background is. Is there unity there? Are we living together as family within these walls? Are we living as brothers and sisters outside of these walls as well? Are we displaying the power of the Spirit in our church? Are we displaying the power of the Spirit in our own individual lives? Or are we just kind of painting our own picture? We're just doing whatever it is that we want to do. Maybe we throw some can or throw some paint on the canvas. Maybe our picture might look like it once more. Or, or we're just over here kind of painting our own picture. I think the long story short is: Are we building our life on the right foundation together as a church? Are we building on the right foundation as an individual? Are we building on the right foundation? And the answer for the church in Corinth was no. They weren't building on the right foundation. They weren't growing. They weren't reflecting the image of the church that Jesus had created the church to be from the stage, right? Paul says that they are spiritually immature. Look at verse 3. It says, you are still worldly. Well, how? How are you still worldly? What does this mean? They were still living under the rule, reign, and the requirements of the old system. They'd been adopted into the brand new system. They'd been adopted into the family of God. But they weren't living as children of God. They were living like they were still under the rule and reign of the old system. Now ask yourself, am I living under the reign and rule of, of my identity in Christ? Or am I living in, in the light and identity of the things around me that God has plucked me out of? Where am I finding my value? Where am I finding my fulfillment? What is Jesus doing in my life? Is there a use to be for me? Is there? And so they weren't living in this way. And I don't know if you ever feel like that. Maybe you, you kind of feel this, this economy where like, we, we've been taken out of the world, but yet we still live like we're in the world. Man, I can make a wreck out of my life so fast. Man, I, I know that I can be in this place of, uh, this is who I used to be, but I know that I'm in Christ now, and so I order my life, my identity is found in Him. But I can so quickly go back to this, this place over here. This morning, I, like, I, was, I was sitting or standing up here on the stage, like things were different, right? We're not outside, we're, we're inside, and my flesh started to take over, right? First service, everything's different, you're trying to work through that kind of stuff. And I was working through this issue in my own mind, of, like finding my approval and my desire in my flesh. Like, what do you think of me? What are you feeling about me? Like, is this resonating? Do people like this? Like, I don't feel like I'm, like I was working through all this in my mind. I'm like, I'm Anthony 1.0 over here. Like, you think, like, old management, new management, I was Anthony 1.0, I know I'm supposed to be Anthony 2.0, like, I'm identified, I'm fully aware that I have everything that I need in Christ, but I was over here thinking, like, what do they think? And I care way too much, way too much what people are thinking. I was living Anthony 1.0, I was living in the flesh, as opposed to, I'm fully satisfied and saturated in Christ, I have everything that I need in Him, it doesn't matter what they think about me, they're going to deliver the message that God has given in my heart. Right? It's so easy for me to go back to this place of, I'm comfortable here. I lived like this for 20 years. I've been a believer for however many years you've been a believer. And you're like, but the grips, the talents, the passions, the desires that come in this world are so strong for us that even when we've been taken out of those, and we know this is where fulfillment is supposed to come from. And it's so easy for all of us, any of us, to go back to this place. And Paul was saying that maturity is not going to happen over here. Maturity is going to happen when we stop living in this place and finding our fulfillment over here and start growing up in the maturity 
in the rule and reign, the relationship with Christ and his kingdom, living under new management. And so Paul calls us out. Because you're not growing, you're elevating others, and you're thinking like the world thinks instead of you and yourself and everybody else as a servant of Christ. You're not painting the picture correctly. You're fighting for positions. You're fighting over positions. You're fighting with each other. There's disunity. This is no, no. The way of the church that's going to be growing is not to elevate people, to view yourself in the right context, to view yourself as a servant, as somebody who's building from the foundation of Jesus. Everyone involved. Look what he says in verse 9. He, he gives a few different illustrations of what the church uh, building on Christ looks like. Right? He called them co-workers, we're God's field, we're God's building. And every single one of these illustrations, Jesus is the one that's causing the growth. He's the one who's watering the field and causing fruit. He's the one who's building on the foundation. He is the one who's putting all this together. Look at verse 9. This is what growth and maturity begins to look like. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, you me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, these are the things that he's identifying with this. These are the things that will last. Or wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become manifest for the day to disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one does. Now, here, I, want, I, I don't want to go off very far on this, but I just want to address it, right? Paul is bringing in an eschatological view, which just simply means this is a view of the end times. That there's going to be judgment. Now, for those who are in Christ, it's not going to be a judgment where you sit and you, okay, you go to heaven, you go to hell kind of deal. But for those who are in Christ, you're going to sit through a judgment of how did you live? in connection to me? How did you use the tools that I've given you? Did you grow? Did you mature? And there's going to be rewards, Paul says, that come with that. And I have zero idea of what those rewards look like. I believe in my heart that as you get those rewards, you lay those rewards back down to the feet of Jesus because he gives those to you. But the, what he's talking about is there's going to be an accountability for how we live our life. Did we put paint on the canvas or not? Did we build on the right things or, or not? And if we do, he says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, meaning that he builds on the wrong things and wastes his life, or his life, he'll suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Right? Here's where, it, this is written to believers. This is not written to unbelievers. This is a letter that's the believers in the church. So they're not in threat of, uh, of losing their salvation. They're in threat, or they're in fear of losing their reward. So in 16 he says, do not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You see the picture that Paul is painting here? It's everyone, right? It's everyone taking their work and building on the right foundation. You build on you, it's not going to stand. You build on the world, it's not going to stand. So much so that it's considered wood, hay, straw. It gets burnt up at the end. There's, there's no lasting value. But when you build on the foundation of Jesus, that's the markings in the beginnings of a healthy church. It's the marking in the beginnings of a healthy person who makes up the church. Spiritual maturity is always going to be a work of, of the Holy Spirit. Right? So spiritual maturity can only be a work of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of believers, brothers and sisters, 
who give room to the Spirit to do work in the life. And so as you look at Jesus painting the picture of what the perfect church looks like, what does it look to grow up, to grow up in Christ, we can look at that picture and say, there is no way that I can live up to that. There's no way that we can become the church that looks like that. And that's what he wants us to see, because he's given the Spirit inside of us to do that work. Right? The Spirit inside us to do that work. And so as we look at that picture, like, there is no way I can do that. So we take the brush and we take the paint, and we hand it over to the Spirit and say, because I can't do that, you do that. You paint that picture in me. You paint that picture in our church. You paint that picture in our lives. Because I realize that in my flesh, I'm going to mess that up. But Holy Spirit, as I live in connection to you, as I live in alignment with you, as I live no longer in the power and the control of this world, but I live in this new life that you give me, under the new management that you give me, you paint that picture in me, and you paint that picture in our church. See, when we as, as people, when we as Riverview people, and we as believers in Christ, as we start growing, giving the Spirit room to work in our life, what happens is that we spiritually mature, and as we spiritually mature, the big C church begins to spiritually mature as well. And the local church begins to spiritually mature as well. When we give him room to do that work. And then what happens is we start looking like the masterpiece that Jesus put on the stage. Because he's doing the work. Spiritual maturity is always the work of the Spirit doing work in our lives. Do we give him room to do that work? Do we use the tools that he's given? In the picture that he's painting, it takes every single one of us. Every one of us growing Every one of us pressing into the Spirit. Every, every one of us handing the brush over to the Spirit to do that work. When Ashley and I we were sitting there painting that picture, we looked at the picture like this. There's no way I'm going to be able to paint that. There's absolutely no way. But when she said, you know what, just follow, just follow me. Just, just follow me, and, and I'll help you paint that picture. We said, okay, then I'll, let's just relax for having fun. But we got messy, we made some mistakes, but at the end of our time together, we actually, we walked out, as we followed her lead, we walked out with a picture that resembled hers. Was it a perfect copy of the original? No. But did it follow the intent of the original? Absolutely. It did. As we followed her lead. So there's a, I think there's like this, this thing that we've, got to, that we've got to think through. Like, am I going to allow the Spirit to do that work in me? I want you to try to picture a church with me that is, is handing the brush over to the Spirit. I want you to think about what the church in Ashland would look like, what Riverview would look like. If you took that brush and you handed it over to the Spirit and said, Holy Spirit, you start painting that picture of me. What would that look like if you handed the brush over and said, Holy Spirit, you start painting that picture of your church here in Ashland. And you, you say, Holy Spirit, make me available. Let me let, me let you lead in my life. What, what, what would your life begin to look like? What would the church in Ashland begin to look like? I should close your eyes. The question for every one of us to ponder is will I use the tools that he's given me? Will I follow his lead? Or will I paint the picture in my in my own mind of the church that I want? Or the life that I want? The desire that I want, or the passion that I want, or how I want to be fed, or what I want to see my life like, or will I follow his lead for the picture that he's already painted, and let him lead me there? So that's a decision that we each have to make. Will I let him lead in my life? Will I give him the brush? Will I, will I follow his lead? Father, we 
ask you to do this work in us because we cannot do it in and of ourselves. You've given us life. For those who have Jesus, you've given us your life. You've given us the ability to follow you. You've given us the ability uh, to put some paint on our pages that, that makes sense. That's not in and of ourselves. And so I pray that you would give us the desire to do that. That we would continue to live by your power and not under the compulsion of this world and feed our desires as the world tells us to be to feed. Let us find our identity fully in you. For those who don't yet know Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would allow them to see themselves as part of your masterpiece. That when you designed the church, you wanted them in it. That you wanted them to have life. And so if they walk around with no hope, with no life, no joy, just living from day to day, I pray that we would see that there's purpose in this life and it's connected to you. So Holy Spirit, do some work where there's vacancy this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let it guys.